beginning a brand new series. I'm very excited about this series and very petrified of this series because of some of the things that we're going to be dealing with and talking about. But I think it's very timely and I think it's very important that we talk about some of these things that we're going to be talking about. The title of the series is called Broken Pieces. And, and we're going to be going through the book of Job. Now, before you kind of go, oh my goodness, that's a long book. We're really going to use Job as kind of a home base. Uh, I grew up playing baseball, so anytime I can throw a baseball uh, analogy or thought in there, I'm going to do that. And so basically, we're going to start in Job, and then we're going to use Job to kind of go around to other sections of Scripture over the next five weeks to discuss some of the things that we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about suffering. We're going to talk about identity. We're going to talk about depression. We're going to talk about some things that, that are in the book of Job that uh, are very important that we look at. But this morning, we're going to start with a very important topic that I believe will kind of lay the groundwork for the rest of the series, okay? So this is an important day that you're here because I think that if we can understand this concept, it's going to change how we look at the following weeks and help us do a better job of understanding uh, what we're facing and the things that we're going through. So we're going to be in Job 1. Uh, It's going to be up there on the screen. Now, we're going to, we don't usually do this, but we're going to kind of do it this week to kind of give us uh, some background of the situation. But we're going to start in Job 1. It's going to be up there and, and we're going to read it together just so that we lay some groundworks for the book of Job and what's happening, okay? So in Job 1.1, it says this, there once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, and 500 male donkeys. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in that entire area. Job's sons would take turns preparing feasts in their homes, and they would also invite their three sisters to celebrate with them. When these celebrations ended, sometimes after several days, Job would purify his children. He would get up early in the morning and offer a burnt offering for each of them. For Job said to himself, perhaps my children have sinned and have cursed God in their hearts. This was Job's regular practice. Now, one day, the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from, the Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord, I have been patrolling the earth, watching everything that's going on. Then the Lord asked Satan, have you noticed my servant Job? He's the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He he fears God and stays away from evil. Satan replied to the Lord, yes. But Job has good reason to fear God. You've always put a wall of protection around him in his home and his property. You've made him prosperous in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out and take away everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right, you may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want with him or with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. One day when Job's sons and daughters were fasting at the oldest brother's house, a messenger arrived at Job's home with this news. Your oxen were plowing with the donkeys feeding beside them. When the Sabaeans raided us, they stole all the animals and killed all the farmhands. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. The fire of God has fallen from heaven and burned up your sheep with all the shepherds. I'm the only one who escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, a third messenger arrived with this news. Three bands of Chaldeans raiders have stolen your camels and killed your servants. I am the only one who's escaped to tell you. This guy is having a bad, bad day. And it continues. 
He says, while he was still speaking, another messenger arrived with this news. Your sons and daughters were feasting in their oldest brother's home. Suddenly, a powerful wind swept in from the wilderness and hit the house on all sides. The house collapsed, and all your children are dead. I am the only one who escaped to tell you. Job stood up, and he tore his robe in grief. Then he shaved his head. He fell to the ground to worship. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Father, God, I need your help so desperately. And Father, I want to share these words with clarity. I want to share them in the way that you want them shared. And so that means my words have had to cease, and yours have got to come out. And so, God, I pray that you would help that to happen. I love you. And I thank you, and I know you'll be with me, so help me. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, because it's the first week, I want to start here. Now, we're going to go through these quickly, but I do want to give you a little background on the book of Job, okay? So a quick background of the book of Job, because I think if we understand some of these things, it'll help us understand some of the things that we're going to be talking about over the next several weeks. Number one, this is a story about a real man during a real time in history. There have been some people that feel like, oh, no, this is just a story that was made up. There really wasn't a man. There really was a man, we believe, that, that this story was about. We see several reasons why that is. Number one, we see a specific person, a specific time, a specific place, a specific number. Usually when they're just stories, they don't go into this type of detail. And so we see that in this story, this idea. Also, and this is very important, we see Job talked about both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. In Ezekiel uh, 14.14, he's brought up, and also in James 5.11. He's brought up as, as, as someone that we should look at and emulate as someone who handled these things and was righteous. And so we see that basically that that, that he's brought up in those ways. So this is a real man uh, at a real point of history. Number number two, judging by the style of Hebrew uh, the book uses, it's possibly the oldest book in the Old Testament. Okay? Yeah, I know it's in the middle because it's technically poetry, but basically this is probably, we think, one of the oldest books that was ever written down for the Bible, okay? So this is basically, a lot of people feel like this was basically done and written out about the time, or this took place about the time of Abraham, okay? So we kind of have a ballpark understanding of when this is actually taking place in time. Uh, But this is one of the oldest books, which is important because I think what's neat about that is this is one of the first things that God wanted his people to understand, okay? One of the first lessons in those sort of things that he wanted them to understand. And the final thing, number three, this is important that we understand this. This book is not primary, uh, primarily about man's suffering, pain, or that Job loses everything. It deals with the core problem in this life that God doesn't always do the things that we think he should. Really, as we look at this whole series, we're going to see different things. We're going to see Job's response to certain things and his, his suffering and all these sort of things. But this book is really about why doesn't God sometimes do the things that we think he should. We have this idea that God should do this or God should be this way. And sometimes, guys, he isn't. 
And how do we deal with that? How do we make sense of that? And so this is a very important thing that we look at. Number two, a quick understanding of who Job was. Okay, So we need to understand a little bit more about the man Job. We know he's a real guy. We know in a real place, but we need to look at this. Number one, the Bible says that Job is blameless. Okay, blameless. Now, we have to understand something. The Bible does not say Job was sinless. Okay, no one is sinless. Okay, if this will help you understand the difference between sinless and blameless in this understanding, sinless is a uh, a vertical situation. Okay, blameless is a horizontal situation. What this is basically meaning is that people could look at Job and look at his life and couldn't find things and go, oh, well, he's bad here or not good here. He's done wrong here. And so basically we understand that, that he was blameless, but not sinless. The next one is that Job was a man of integrity. Okay, a man of integrity. What's integrity? Simple. It's basically he's do, he does the right thing even when no one's watching. Okay, he does the right thing. At all times, no matter what. Next, number three, Job is wealthy. He's rich, okay? We see that in Scripture. He's got all these camels and and farm animals and all this stuff. He's a very wealthy man, okay? And then something else that we need to understand that sometimes we miss, and this is important, is also that Job was very generous, Okay? Not only did he have all these things, but he was very, very generous with his time. In Job 29 and in Job 31, we see that Job helped orphans and helped widows and helped the poor and, and would even at times represent people as kind of like their lawyer, if that makes sense, in court to support them and help them. Job was, was good with his time and his treasures and his talents. He wasn't just a hoarder, okay? He took those things that God gave him and he used them to bless others. So he's a very, very generous individual, okay? Now, I want to move on to number three, and I'll do that in just a second, okay? But really, what this morning is about, even though we gave you some, some background information, really what this morning is about and what God has kind of been putting in my heart over the last several weeks is, is this section, okay? So you need to hold on to all the details and all the background stuff so you can have that kind of as we go forward. But, but really today, what we want to focus in on is number three. And one of the things that we need to see here is there are two settings of the book of Job. Okay, now we just read Job chapter one, and in that we see these two settings. Okay, and it's kind of interesting how it happens. But first, first setting that we see, it's kind of like a play, you know, and we're seeing different settings or different scenes, and this lays out, and we get basically number one, we get this physical setting. Okay, or the physical realm is what I'm going to call it. This physical realm. The physical realm, if you want to look in your Bible, is John 1, or John, Job 1, 1 through 5, and then, and then 13 through 22. Now, now what, what is the physical realm? The physical realm we're very accustomed to. We are in the physical realm now. We, we deal with the physical realm and taste and touch and, and all those types of, uh, of things. We understand it very, very well. But what's interesting is at, starting in verse number 6 of Job 1, we see the scene switch. And so in the first five verses, we see him on earth, and we see all the things that he has, and we talk about his kids, and we talk about, oh, he's rich, and all he's out of his integrity, and all this sort of stuff. And then in 6, something switches. And it's like, you know, I I don't know if you, you know, watch movies or, or TV shows, but it's like it fades to black, and then it opens up, and there's a completely new scene, and now we see the spiritual realm. 
Now, the spiritual realm is somewhat different, obviously, than, than the physical realm. The spiritual realm is mysterious. The spiritual realm is something that a lot of people uh, like to focus in on. Sometimes they focus in on it correctly. Sometimes they put an overemphasis on it, whether good or bad. But, but there's, there's an interesting thing here, and we see this in basically in chapter 1 of verse 6. Okay? And one thing that we need to understand... When we deal with these types of realms and we talk about these sort of things, is we need to understand that what happens in the spiritual realm greatly affects what goes on in the physical realm and vice versa. Okay? Now, you need to understand this. Okay? So, for some of you, this may be new. If not, that's cool. But if it is, it's cool too. But there is a physical realm in our world and a spiritual realm. Okay? In, in verse number 6, we see the angels and the court and, and the enemy coming into God's presence. Okay? God creates, created us and created those angels and those what eventually became demons. And these things are very, very real. And they are affecting the world that we live in. We can't see it. We don't necessarily always experience it. We can live our lives completely oblivious to it. But trust me, these things are real and they affect our world. And the thing is, when we understand that, when we have that perspective, we can begin to understand a little bit more of why what we're dealing with, why this, sort of these sort of things happen, and what's going on in the world that we're dealing with. Now, I want to talk about two specific things. But before we go there, Jesus actually talks very, very briefly about these things. And he does it in John. And in John chapter uh, 8, verse number 23, this is what Jesus says. He says to them, you are from below... I am from above. You are of this world and I am not of this world. And so Jesus here is talking about these two different realms. This physical and spiritual. And I want to look at two stories. One probably you, you're probably a little bit more familiar with. And one maybe you're not so familiar with. Dealing with these two realities, these two realms. And how they infect each other. How they are real and how, they, how we deal with them. And the first one is in 2 Kings. Okay. In 2 Kings 6, we see a very interesting story. Now, I put on there just 14 through 17, but I want to give you a little bit of background of what's going on, okay? There is a prophet uh, in, in Jerusalem, or in, or in Israel, excuse me. His name is Elisha, and basically, to make it sh- the story short, Elisha is being told by God where the enemy is going to be and, and all these sort of things. And so the king of, of Ammon gets very upset about this, tries to figure out, where, what, or Assyria, where is all this, all this happening? How, what's going on? And basically one of his servants says, hey, listen, there's a prophet in Israel, and he's telling everything that's going on. So what's he do? He goes, that's fine, I'm going to go get out, I'm, I'm taking out the prophet. If I take out the prophet, then the king of Israel or, won't know what's going on. So he masses his army to go find Elisha. And so basically that's where we're at in our story. And so in 2 Kings, basically 6.14, it says this. So one night, the king of Armin sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. This is where Elisha is. When the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. So you've got to put yourself in, in this kind of mindset, okay? This is not, you know, 2019 where people are, you know, not massing armies against each other as far as one man, if you know what I mean. And so you're the servant. You get up, you walk outside, and you are completely surrounded by guys that are not there to shake your hand. Okay? And so the servant goes, he, he flips. 
He's like, I don't, this, this is not a good situation. So he says to Elisha, so sir, what will we do now? What are we going to do? We're surrounded. He knows that they're coming for us, man. They're not going to take Elisha out and not take me out. This is not a good situation. What do we do? And so Elisha says, don't be afraid. For there are more on our side than on theirs. Now I want you to stop, stop and think about what he's just commented. He is completely surrounded with horses, chariots, and an army that are purposely there to take him out. And there's him and his servant. And his response is, don't worry, there's more of us than them. I would have loved to have seen the expression on that servant's face in that moment. I mean, that had to have been like a, you have lost your mind moment. But something very interesting happens. Elisha prays, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. The Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. What in the world has just happened? Very simply, in that moment, God pulled back the curtain of the spiritual realm, and a man in the physical realm was able to see it. Now, some things you need to understand. Because this is where we have to be aware in some, of some things. Number one, okay? Because this is one of the issues that I see happens a lot, okay? We have to remember who opened the man's eyes. God, okay? Here's, here's what happens, folks, and we need to hear my heart on this. Because I see it constantly, not just in every, in my, sometimes in my life and in other people's lives. When things happen, and we don't understand why God is doing certain things or allowing certain things or things are happening, we start demanding answers. We start to say, I have to know why. I don't understand this situation or that situation or, or, or why does this person suffer or why am I suffering or why can't I do this or why can't I do that? And we begin to throw these questions at God and God sometimes will answer them and sometimes he will remain silent for specific reasons. But when that happens, a lot of times what we begin to do is we begin to start looking for answers in other places. We begin to look other places and other people and other things to try to understand why God is doing what, we're, what, 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 what we don't understand. We see this in the life of the King Saul. When, when, when um, Samuel had passed away and he had died, he basically didn't know what to do. He didn't know if to attack the enemy or not to attack the enemy. And so God is not answering him. So what does he do? He goes to a witch to try to figure out, what do I do now? Now listen, hopefully, none of you have gone to someone like that to try to get answers. But you know what? I've seen people try to get answers in many other ways that are just as destructive. Listen, sometimes in our lives, God will pull back that curtain. And sometimes he won't. And if he doesn't, there is a purpose and a plan and a reason for it. But listen, hear me here. These things are real. These things are are, are 
we're going to talk about it more in a second. These things are real. And do not, do not, please hear me, do not try to go find answers someplace else with something else. Okay? Because these things are real. God will open your eyes when that moment is right. God will reveal those things in that moment that needs to be revealed. Next, let's talk about this one in Daniel. This is an interesting one in Daniel 2, or Daniel 10. Okay? Daniel has been going through some things. Okay, and so just kind of, he's been going through some things, and basically we're looking at Daniel 2, verse number to 5, and then we're going to jump, and this is what it says. It says, when this vision came to me, I, Daniel, had been in mourning for three whole weeks. Okay, everybody remember, three whole weeks. Hold on to that, okay? All that time, I had eaten no rich food, no meat or wine across my lips, and I used no fragrant lotions, so, so uh, until those three weeks had passed. So this is very interesting. Obviously, Daniel's not spelling very well at this point. On April 23rd, as I was standing on the bank of the great Tigris River, I looked up and saw a man dressed in linen clothing with a belt of pure gold around his waist. Now let's jump to nine, verse number 9. It says, Then I heard the man speak, and when I heard the sound of his voice, I fainted and laid there with my face to the ground. Okay, now let's stop here and let's, let's kind of take a step back and then we'll go take two steps forward. Daniel has been praying about something. He's been interceding about the situation that he's going through and that the, 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 the country is going through. He's been praying. He hasn't got any answers. He's been doing this for three whole weeks. Now, finally, at the end of three whole weeks, this begins to happen, and this individual appears before him. Now, let's start again with chapter 10, or verse number 10. Just then a hand touched me and lifted me, still trembling, to my hands and knees. And the man said to me, Daniel, you are very precious to God, so listen carefully to what I have to say to you. Stand up, for I have been sent to you. When he said this to me, I stood up. Still trembling. And now let's continue. Then he said, don't be afraid, Daniel. Since the first day you began to pray for understanding and to humble yourself before your God, your request has been heard in heaven. Let's stop there for just a second and just think about how amazingly awesome that is. Now listen, do not believe the lie that says, oh, well, that was Daniel, not me. God hears our prayers. The very first day, your prayer has been heard in heaven. And this is what he says. I have come to answer your prayer. Well, that's great. That's great. So what's, what's my thought? Um, <laughs> was there traffic? Do you live in Denver? What happened that kept you from getting here? Listen to what he says. But for 21 days... Remember back in, you know, chapter, or chapter, verse number five? What did I tell you to remember? Three weeks. Okay, I'm not real good at math, but I think seven times three is 21, which would be 21 days, which would be three weeks. So glad we have a teacher, you know, here to help us, you know. So he shows up. He says, but for 21 days, the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia blocked my way. Now, you need to understand something here. This is an angelic being. He is not talking about the physical realm. He is talking about what is going on in the spiritual realm. 
He had been sent by God from the moment that David prayed. But there was a battle. There was a fight. And he is trying to get through. And he's being battled. And he's, being fi- he's fighting this, this, this demon. And they are going at it. And for 21 days... This is taking place. Daniel is praying. He's not eating. He's not bathing. He's frustrated. He's going, God, why won't you answer me? God, what's going on? And he doesn't understand that in the spiritual realm, there's a battle going on. You know what Daniel probably did? Because Daniel is human like us. God, where are you? God, why won't you answer me? God, have you forgotten me? God, why? God, I'm praying here. God, I'm fasting here. God, I'm doing all the right things. And yet you're nowhere to be found. God, where are you? And in this particular instance, we see that there was a battle going on that Daniel had no idea. But this is what he says. He said, then Michael. Michael is one of the archangels. Michael, one of, that's what it says, one of the archangels, sorry, came to help me. And I left him there with the spirit prince of the kingdom of Persia. Left him there. You know what's interesting about that? We have this picture here of this this situation where in some ways the angel that has been dispatched to Daniel leaves and there's still a fight going on. It doesn't particularly say Michael wins. It just basically says Michael comes and they begin to fight so that he can get to Daniel. Folks, there is a spiritual battle that is taking place whether you know it or not. There are things that are going on in the spiritual realm that is affecting your world and your life. Why? Why is that so important? Because you need to understand that the enemy is the enemy, not the person sitting next to you, or not your boss, or not your kids, or not your husband or your wife. Your enemy literally is the enemy. Now, who is the enemy? The enemy is Satan. The enemy is who, who Jesus said is, is there to kill Steal and destroy. He did not say to annoy, to pester, and to give you a hangnail. But a lot of times we look at the enemy and that's our opinion of him. He is a little man with a pitchfork in red pajamas that's there to irritate us. He is not. He is there to kill and destroy everything that you hold dear. Now, I don't tell you that to go, oh, my goodness, oh, we're we're so in trouble. No, 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 no. Greater is he that is in us than he is in the world. We're good. Okay, you need to understand something. The enemy and God are not equals. If the enemy is equal to anyone, he's equal to Michael or Gabriel, one of those archangels, because that's who he was before he fell. Okay? If this will help you, God is the bodybuilder at the beach that can take a phone book and rip it in half. And basically, Satan is Emily, who's now sick at home. We need to pray for her. It's her birthday today. One year old. I'm, I was all disappointed. I was going to give her a big hug and wish her happy birthday, even though she would never remember it. And she's not feeling well. So hopefully, she's getting a little, Gordon says she's feeling a little bit better. But that's the difference, guys. The enemy and God are not equals in power and strength and knowledge. We got this. But he's still out to kill, steal, and destroy us. 
And there is a battle that is taking place. And let's be honest, there's a portion of us who have no earthly idea and we're walking into battle buck naked. We are. I don't understand why all these things are happening. Because there's an enemy that's there to kill, steal, and destroy. That's why. And look, I'm not, you guys know me pretty well. I'm not a huge guy when it comes to those battle analogies. I kind of, as a kid, you know, I, I sang Onward Christian Soldier enough, I guess. And, and, and the kids' songs that you sing, that kind of tired out a little bit about that. But, but that, that, we're not talking about the physical here. We're talking about the spiritual battle that is going on every day that you can't see that is just as real as everything you are experiencing. Now, some of you, that may be a, what? And if that's you, it's okay. Okay? I'm not telling you this to get you to go, what in the world? Or, or what? But, but these things are going on. We need to understand them and come to grips with them so that we can do a better job of knowing what we're fighting, who we're fighting, and things like that. Look at Ephesians. Ephesians 6, 12, it says this. It says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Another translation I said, or looked at basically said, we are not fighting against human beings, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. That's that spiritual realm. Against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Can I, can I tell you a little about me? I've, I've learned something, and, and I've learned this maybe in the last couple of months. Okay, This is a new thing for me because I'm trying to still learn and understand things. When I try to take a spiritual battle into the physical realm, I always lose. Every single time. I get angry at people. I get frustrated at people. I say things I don't mean. I lose every single time. Because I've misunderstood who my enemy is. Listen, hear me on this. Because I am with you. I want our culture to change too. But hear me on this. We have spent way too much time trying to fix things that are spiritual matters in the physical realm. And have not seen the things that need to happen because we're fighting the wrong battle and we're fighting the wrong people. So how do you fight? Well, I'll tell you one thing. You don't fight with with words and you don't fight with fists. You fight on your knees. And you go, oh, that's, that sounds pretty trite. And that sounds pretty... You know what? It still doesn't change the fact that it's true. That's how we fight. We get on our face before God and we call out to Him. Because listen, when we call out to Him, as we saw in Daniel, the enemy, the enemy will fight, yes, but there will be a release of angels and there will be a release of the armies of God to go and do what only they can do. But if you sit and you fight these battles in the physical realm, you will lose every single time. You will hurt people. You will destroy relationships. And it is time that we understand that there were two settings in the book of Job. There was 
a setting where this was coming from. And there was a battle that was raging. And we need to understand it. So what do we do? How does Paul continue in Ephesians? Let's look in 13. He says, therefore, okay, because we are fighting this battle, because we are not dealing with flesh and blood enemies. Listen, I want you to stop and just think for a second. How many people in your life do you look at as the enemy? How many people that have hurt you, that have, that have, that have done things you don't understand? And they're the enemy. We see here in Scripture, they're not the enemy. Because we are dealing with these enemies that are in a spiritual nature, therefore, what does Paul tell us to do? Put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. I remember learning this as a kid. For some reason, I don't understand why I want to go find my, my Sunday school teacher who's in heaven now, thank goodness, and say, what? You, you, you forgot a very important part of this. Yeah, the, the, the armor of God, that's good. I mean, you should learn that. But there's a re- why do we have to wear it? This is why. He says, so you can resist the enemy. Then after the battle, not after the picnic, after the battle you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will... Next verse. It's not on there? It's loading? It's not going? I got it right here. That's fine. Let's see, where were we? For shoes, stand your ground. So, good news. I got it here. I just can't find where I lost it. I'll just start for 14. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the armor, body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of your neighbor, of your children. Of the person in charge, whoever they may be, in a place of government. Of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet. And take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Now look at 18. After we've done all that and we have girded ourselves up. Look at 18. Pray in the spirit at all times. And on every occasion, stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Can I just, can we just be honest? Okay, because look, this is, this is going to help us as we move forward dealing with some of the harder issues that we're going to deal with in the next couple of weeks that are, I'll be honest with you, that I'm, I'm nervous about sharing. Not nervous because I don't believe there's power and not because I don't believe that they're important, but because they are, they're dealing with some very, very uh, deep stuff with people. And I'm doing it because I believe that's what God wants and because I believe God wants to bring us freedom. But I think one of the problems that we have when things happen that we don't understand is we blame the wrong people, we fight the wrong battles, we fight the wrong enemy. I'm going to put, this is a weird way to put this, but I just, I think you'll get it because I think you get me. 
And this may sound strange and weird, but just please, just hear my heart behind it, which is going to sound really weird. I have been growing in my hatred of the enemy a lot recently. A lot. You know why? Because I am so sick and so tired of him destroying lives. I am so sick and tired of him using people to destroy other people. I am so sick and tired of him being this thing that is bringing pain and suffering to the world that we live in. I understand that we all make choices and we all have to do those things. But you know what? We're going to look at this later on. These things, these things, as you look, even in the first chapter, the enemy is bringing these things. He is doing it because he wants to kill, steal, and destroy. But I think if you're like me, we have forgotten who the enemy really is. We have looked at people that have hurt us or or bothered us or said the wrong thing. And we have turned our attack on them. And trust me, hear me, if you attack, you will lose. Yeah, you may say something and you may make them feel horrible. But you know what? You just lost We've got to understand where the battle is raging and who the enemy is. I'm going to have the worship team come back up and we're going to close. There are two realms. They are real. They affect each other. They are a part of our daily understanding. Whether, listen, listen, whether we understand it or not is not really the issue. Whether we believe it or not really isn't the issue. I can stand up here and I can basically, or get a little, we have a big old ladder in that room. We can put this ladder up to the very top of this room and I can climb to the very top and I can say and proclaim to you with all the conviction in the world, I do not believe in gravity. It's not, it's not, it's, it's, it's not the truth I choose to believe. My my truth says I can fly if I jump off this. And guess what? If I released that ladder in about, depending on how high it is and depending on, I don't know, I was bad at math, obviously, because I couldn't do, you know, seven and three. I'm going to hit the ground. doesn't matter whether I believe it or not. It's real and I'm hitting the ground. Folks, whether you believe in this realm or not, it's real. This is a real thing that we're dealing with. When God created us and God said, I'm going to create, we're going to create man and woman in our image. It's not an understanding that God has a nose, two eyes, two ears, and hair. It's that because God is spirit, we are too. You see, here's the thing you need to understand. One day when this life is over, this physical realm, this this physical realm, stuff, dirt, It's going to go away. But what will remain will be that spiritual person. We were created that way. It's not going to be a poof and it's gone. And there are people that need to understand that. We need to understand that. I want you to stop and I want you to think. How would your life change today if you stopped fighting people? 
if you stopped fighting in the physical, you stopped spending all your time trying to figure out the perfect argument, but instead you spent that time in prayer. Instead, you spent that time calling out to God. Because here's the thing. A lot of times what we do is, is, is we don't have, let's be honest, we don't have the, the patience of Daniel. We come maybe on a Wednesday prayer time and we come and we kneel or, or on a Sunday and we say, Oh God, can you do this? Can you help in this area? And then we look at our watch and go, God, what, where are you? Why, why haven't you done it yet? Sometimes there's a battle going on. It took 21 days to get to Daniel. For some people, it's going to take years. It's going to take time. But you keep praying. You keep going. Paul says that you pray without ceasing. You continue to go. You continue to battle. You continue to fight on your knees. Listen, some of us are dealing with things that we need to stop fighting in the physical and start getting in the spiritual and start allowing the armies of heaven to be unleashed into those situations. Some of us need to understand and realize there are literally more with us than there are with them and actually begin to live that way. Some of us, quite honestly, need God to open our eyes to see the truth. But you're in a battle and it's going to be a hard, hard fight. But we win. We win. But we got to fight in the right place. Father, we come to you right now. And God, we desperately need you. Father, we, we, these two realms begin this story of Job. We see the physical. We see the spiritual. We see how they interact with each other. We see the enemy. We see you. And quite honestly, later on in the book, we see a man who somewhat, even not fully, understands where the battle is and three friends who have absolutely no idea. A wife that has no idea. And because they think the battle is taking place in the physical, they do and say things that are hurtful and that could mean to destroy Job. And almost us. And it almost us. So Father, I pray that we wouldn't be like them that we would begin to fight in the spiritual. Father, if we want this place to be what you want it to be, let's be honest, it is not going to be because I come up with some great idea. Or it's not going to be because I, John sings a certain song. It is going to be because we as your people get on our face and call out to you and you bring a pouring out of your spirit that changes hearts and changes lives. That's how this is going to happen. It will not happen any other way. We may fill this place in other ways, but filling a place isn't the goal. The goal is having people come to know you and discover you and grow in you. And that happens when we get on our face and we fight in the correct realm. So Father, I pray that you would call forth warriors. 
I pray that you would call forth people who would fight in the correct place that wouldn't attack friendly people and they wouldn't attack people, but they would instead call out to you for you to do something amazing in that situation and in their lives. Because without you, without you, we can do nothing. But with your help, all things are possible. So help us. Father, we love you. We thank you. Let's all stand. John and the worship team is going to come and lead us in a closing chorus. I really felt like this is what God was saying, okay? And again, I'm telling you right now, this is going to be tough. And I'm going to do it as best that I can. I'm going to fail, but I'm going to try as best I can too. So we're all in this together, okay? But I want this to take place. I believe this is what God's asking to help us fight in the right realm, okay? I want to give you an application here. For those people that you complain about, those people that have hurt you, okay? I know how we we work. We're all human. We bring it back up. We dig it back. Oh, man, my kid. Oh, I can't believe that kid did that. Man, my wife, I can't believe she's doing this or that. Listen, for as much time this week and hopefully moving forward that you spend complaining about somebody, having a fit about how they acted or how they treated you, I want you to spend double praying for them double. You spend two minutes, I want four. You spend five, I want five. Interceding for that individual. And I believe with everything in me, first and foremost, that'll change you. And I believe that God will use that to change that situation. 
So however long you spend, and we all do it, folks. We all do it. I can't believe my kid did that again. Man, what is wrong with that kid? Why does he? For as long as you spend, double it in prayer for that kid. Father, I thank you for him. Father, I, I, I know that sometimes he doesn't always do the right thing, but I am so blessed that I'm his dad. I am so thankful that he is who he is. And Father, I pray blessings on him. And Father, I pray that you would continue to mold him and shape him. It's going to change everything if you'll just do it. You want change in situations. You want change in your life. You've got to fight in the right battle. Stop fighting in this world. You'll lose every time. So for as much as the complaining, as much as the upset, pray for them. We see that in scripture. Pray for your enemies and watch God do amazing things. So Father, we cannot do this without you. But God, I believe that you desire to not just change us, which will happen, but to change situations. And so Father, we we go from fighting in, in the physical to fighting in the spiritual. We go to fighting the battle and the enemy that is against us, that is here to kill, steal, and destroy everything. Because Jesus, you have come that we may have life. So we embrace you. We embrace what you want us to do. And we change how we fight to fight in the spiritual realm so that the armies of heaven can be unleashed into these situations that we're dealing with. And we pray and we know and we thank you that we're going to see amazing things, not because of us, but because you have come and done amazing things through us. So Father, change us. We love you and we thank you. You're so good. And we love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.